0: Well, our uh, pastor is on his way to Washington. He's going to be preaching at a camp this week. And so I'm continuing our series on gossip. And it's possible that by this point, you're thinking something like this. If you're like me, when, when I began to study this subject, I thought something like this. If, if I'm not allowed to gossip then what exactly am I supposed to talk about all the time? Right? Has that occurred to anyone yet? That that we spend so much time hearing and listening to bad news from bad hearts, we spend so much time either giving that out and sharing it, or in other cases, taking it in, that you you may be wondering, what am I supposed to do if I can't talk about this stuff? It's sort of like, uh, if you have a, a teenager, or if you know a teenager, uh, and not really just teens, but they're easy to pick on and they're not in here, so uh, I'll say teens, uh, they, they don't realize how much time that they spend on their phone, do they? And if, if they start, by their own volition, uh, tracking their screen time, they're going to be shocked, they're going to be blown away. They've done it so much, so often, they don't realize it. It's in the air that they breathe. They're constantly doing it. And if you were to suggest to a teenager, or maybe one of you in here tonight, what would it be like for a week without screens? They may not be able to comprehend it. And that's how some of us, by the way, it's not that bad, I promise. I've not done a week. I did, I did four days. It wasn't terrible. But you may be thinking, if I'm not supposed to gossip, then what am I supposed to do? This consumes a lot of us. If you have thought about how much of our conversation and even entertainment involves gossip, it can be a little bit difficult to imagine life without it. But here's the thing. If we're going to resist gossip, if we're going to resist the temptation to partake in this then it'll, it'll involve more than saying no to gossip. It's going to involve saying yes to other things, to the right things. We're not supposed to just not gossip. We're supposed to not gossip because we're supposed to talk like a Christian. So here's what we're talking about tonight. Instead of gossip, speaking. Or we could say this, instead of gossip, Christian speaking. Speaking for the glory of God. Speaking like we follow Jesus. Speaking like we take this statement seriously when our Savior said that you will give account for every idle word that you say. And we know that's in the Bible, but a lot of us simply don't believe it. We think it's hyperbole. We think he's exaggerating. We don't believe it. And I know we don't believe it because we don't live like it. But what would it look like to speak like a Christian? What would it look like to speak like a follower of Jesus instead of gossiping? Well, that's what we're talking about tonight. Now, in our series, we've defined gossip this way. Bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. So if we can't do that anymore, what are we supposed to do? Well, I've basically, all my thoughts tonight are under two headings, Okay. Number one, we need to know the principle of replacement. The principle of replacement. Go ahead and, and if if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have that, it'll be on the screen. But go to Ephesians 4. We're going to begin by spending some time here and unpacking what Paul says uh, what we're going to call the, the pattern uh, or the, the principle of replacement, how we replace sins, but specifically how we replace gossip. And then in the second half, uh, when I get to point number two, you'll know I'm about half done. We're going to talk about some practical steps to do that, the practices of replacement. But first, let's look at the principle of replacement and, and begin in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. The apostle says this, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The the Greek word that's translated corrupt is sapros. Sapros, it means something that is rotten or decomposing. Not a very pretty word, and it's not a pretty thought, is it? If you came across something rotten or decomposing, maybe on the highway or maybe in your refrigerator in the very back where no one goes and nothing survives. The the word just brings up all kinds of nasty connotations, doesn't it? Something you don't want to touch, something you don't want to get close to, something that just pollutes the air around it that is corrupt. And Paul is saying that our speech can be like that. He's writing to first century Christians, people that have the Holy Spirit, people that are followers of Jesus, and he's telling them that it is possible that what can come out of their mouths, their saved, redeemed, forgiven mouths, what can come out of that is rotten and corrupt. It's just putrid. It's disgusting. We know it's possible that the Ephesian Christians could talk like this because Paul tells them not to. Rotten words, stinky words, words gone bad. But notice Paul not only calls them to stop saying these things, he instructs them instead to do something else with their speech. Paul, Paul doesn't say, hey Christians, stop letting corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Stop using dirty speech, unhelpful speech, rotten speech. He doesn't just say that. He says, instead of using your speech to do this, use it to do something else, right? Right? That's the second half of verse 29. Resisting gossip, like resisting all corrupt communication, is more than just about saying no to gossip. It's about saying yes to something else. If we're going to break down the sinful habits and patterns of gossip, we're going to have to have some new habits, some new patterns, some new go-tos, right? If we're going to get rid of the old ones. Now to really grasp onto Ephesians 4:29, I want you to see it in its total context. In the first, basically, the letter of Ephesians has, has two halves, and it's very similar to Colossians. In the first half, the first three chapters, Paul focuses on God's plan in Christ to save people. The last three chapters, he focuses on what it is like to be one of those people God is saving. So the first three chapters are about what God has done for us in Jesus. And chapters four and on are sort of like an uh, on-the-ground view of what it looks like to be one of those people that Jesus is changing. Do you, get the, do you get the picture here, the two halves? So what he has said leading up to this is about what God has done for us in Christ. And in the verses leading up to verse 29 we see three really important movements. Uh, First of all, in our fallenness, we were dominated by sin. And look at verses 18 and 19. Here, Paul describes who we were before Christ. Who we were before Christ. We were like this. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, I'll explain what that is, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Past feeling. Before Christ, before we came to faith, before you encountered Jesus, you didn't have spiritual sensitivity. You were past feeling. You you weren't sensitive to God. You weren't sensitive to the things of God. What God required of you, the way you lived... Then demonstrated that and because of this we gave ourselves to lasciviousness means sensuality to just live for the senses to live for pleasure and we not only did that we did that with greediness in other words we did evil with a continual desire for more and more it's not just that before you did a Christian before you were a Christian you did some bad things you were stamped and defined by what displeases God and you were addicted to it right You just wanted more and more. And even after we're saved, we can still feel like that with some uh, signature sins that uh, that have got their hold on us. It can be like that with gossip. Gossip can have this addictive nature where it's not just that you do it every once in a while. It's not just that you share it or listen to it every once in a while. But it's like you have to have more and more and more. And you're never satisfied. That's uncleanness with greediness. Just can't get enough of it. This is how we were defined before we were saved. This is all we knew before we were saved. And it's not just gossip, it's everything else, including self righteousness. We were addicted to sin. And when it comes to gossip, we were addicted to hearing and sharing bad news. And some of us, even though we've been saved, we still have that. It's kind of carried over, hasn't it? We still have that desire. But, but now we are called to live differently, right? We're called to live differently because we're part of this rescue mission, this salvation that Paul's been talking about in Ephesians. We're different people. And the next couple of verses, verses 20 and 21, explain what happened when we received Christ. It's, and that's in your handout. That's the next movement in what Paul is leading up to and getting to verse 29. What happened when we received Christ? Here's what he says. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul, Paul is saying uh, the old pattern of living, your, your old ways that defined you, the way that you lived, the way that you failed to live for God, the way that you were addicted to sin, the way you needed, you always needed more and more of it, this is not what Jesus teaches you if you are one of his people. Jesus is teaching you something else. You didn't learn to continue in this lifestyle from Jesus. And we could say about our gossip, we did not learn how to be addicted to gossip by following Jesus, right? This this isn't part of the Christian package. This is not part of the rescue plan that God has initiated for us. This didn't come with our following of Jesus. No, we've been taught by him. if, If we have heard him, if we have listened to him, that is, if we have responded to the gospel, if we are a part of this good news, if we have listened to it and Believed. Now look what he says next. Because it goes on. Paul doesn't just tell them what happened when they received Christ. Which is they they started this new trajectory, this new path. They have a new destination. They're becoming something different from what they once were. They've not just started in this new direction, but there's something else. And this is in verses 22 through 24, who we are becoming in Christ. Who we are becoming in Christ. Listen. Look look at verse 22. That you put off, okay, if you've heard the gospel, you've listened to Jesus, you've believed it, you're you're following him, you're on this new path. Here's what he's calling you to do, all right? Here's what Jesus calls you to do. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which, after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. There's so much to unpack there that we're just not going to unpack. But notice that he says it's not just that the old man, the old life, the old ways are corrupt. They are corrupt by lust, by desires. Before you became a Christian, the problem was not that you sinned. Do you get this? This is so huge to understand what God is doing in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Before you became a Christian, the problem was not that you sinned. The problem is that you wanted to sin and that you loved sin. The the old man, the old way, the old life isn't corrupt. No, it's corrupt through lust, through desires. You had the desire to displease God. You had the desire to do your own thing. Hey, you had the desire to gossip. And there was nothing stopping you from doing that. Because there was, you didn't have the Holy Spirit in your life. You didn't have a relationship with God. You were corrupt through your lust, through your desires. But there's more than that. That's who we were, but God is changing us. He's making us new in the spirit of our minds. And Why? Why is God making us new? Why is he changing us? So that we would put on the new man. <laughs> is everybody with me? Are we tracking here? So that we would... Put off the old man and put on the new man. Become something else, what God is creating in righteousness and holiness. Do you see this? Paul is saying our relationship with Jesus changed everything. And, this is so important, is changing everything. See, some of us might be discouraged, not just in this series, but even in reading our Bibles and in coming to church In general, we could be discouraged because when someone shared the gospel with us, we were under the impression that if we followed Christ, everything would change overnight. But that's not your experience, is it? Some things do change overnight. Your status before God, your destination is not hell, it's heaven. You're no longer unrighteous in his sight, you're righteous, you're no longer guilty, you're innocent. Those things changed. But man, a lot of stuff feels the same, doesn't it? Have you noticed that? (laughs) Yeah. That's because in this rescue plan, in this change, in this mission that God is on to save us, he does more than forgive us. He starts us on this journey of putting off and putting on. And we're smack dab in the middle of it. Each of us are. If you know Jesus, you're in the middle of your sanctification. It's not over yet because you're not in heaven. The reason the Christian life feels like a struggle sometimes is because it actually is a struggle. The reason that in your Christianity, in your spirituality, you don't feel like a finished product when you woke up this morning is because you're not the finished product. God is busy about doing something ongoing in your life, and he calls you to be busy about the same thing. We work together. Paul is saying that we have this new identity, this new relationship with Jesus that changes everything, and as a result, we need to live out of this new man. By the way, this is the difference between Christianity and all other religions. In other religions, you have to live into your identity. You have to do certain things to become what that religion calls you to be. In Christianity, we don't live into a new identity. We live out of a new identity that's been given us. We've already been given the Holy Spirit. We've already been given new desires. We've already been given new loves. And the challenge that we face when we get up on Thursday morning is to live out those things that God has already given us. It's to act on the gifts that we've already received. It's to walk the path that he has already put us on. We don't try to become something we're not. No, being a Christian is all about becoming who we already are. And by the way, this includes our speech. Your battle, and I may have said something similar to this before in this series, your battle to take control of your own mouth it is not just about discipline or willpower. You have discipline in other areas of your life. You have willpower in other areas of your life. It's not about that. It's about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. That's the struggle. But Paul likens this process to changing clothes. You take off the old coat, you put on a new one. And there's a lot of taking off and taking and, and putting on that shows up here. Verse 25, you put off lying You put on truth speaking. Verse 26 and 27, we put off sinful anger, we put on peacemaking. By the way, you can't wear both of those coats at once, can you? These are mutually exclusive. Verse 28, put off stealing, put on hard work and generosity. And here we are at verse 29. You see that Paul's been in the series of putting off, putting on. And now we come to verse 29. Here's what we're putting off. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, including gossip. Can I add that in there? It's corrupt communication, isn't it? Even though you do it, you know it's rotten, don't you? You know it's kind of like decomposing. <laughs> And and we really know this if we've been gossiped about and found out about it later, man. Is there anything, uh, uh, is there anything quite like finding roadkill or finding something bad in the back of your fridge as finding out you've been gossiped about? It's just disgusting, isn't it? You see, this is something we are called to put off and put on. We're called to replace sinful gossip with life-giving, upbuilding. Gracious, merciful speech. And like all of our sanctification, this is not an event. This is not an event. You can't go to some revival somewhere and, and pray and have your gossip thing fixed. It doesn't work like that, okay? This is a process. This is not a Thursday morning thing. This is a Thursday morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning, Sunday morning thing. Are you, are you following me tonight? We put off gossip and we put on christian speech so now we know what ephesians 429 calls us to do so let's look at the practices of replacement the practices of replacement we've seen the principle of replacement we need to put off gossip put on new speech but how do we do that really (laughs) i mean it's one thing to have somebody get up and tell you from a pulpit you should talk better right but how does that actually affect how you interact with other people tomorrow how is this principle going to affect how you interact with your spouse or with a church member you're having a disagreement with or with someone that, that complains to you about something or with a coworker that you don't get along with? How can we actually replace gossip with Christian speech? Well, I got a few things, practical ideas to help us do this. Here's number one. Number one, this is going to be really hard for some of us. Sometimes you just need to do this, say nothing At all. Really profound, isn't it? Say nothing at all. Often, if we are faced with gossip or the possibility of gossiping or the chance to hear gossip from somebody else, often the best thing is to say nothing. It should not be weird for someone to hear you say, you know what, are you sure I need to know about this? Hey, that should not be weird. It's okay to shut conversations down. And by the way, when you're tempted to gossip, it's okay to preemptively shut down a conversation that you were going to start, even if it was going to be really interesting and really juicy. It's okay to say, you know what? Uh, Never mind. (laughs) Now, sometimes I do that because I have short-term memory. I may, I may be about to tell somebody something. Or maybe I'm even about to gossip and I tell them, uh, uh, never mind, just forget about it. And, and honestly, a lot of times it's because I don't remember what I was going to say. But it should be, listen, it should be also because I've decided, hey, Jesus doesn't want me to say that. I mean, is that really this, is this is this really complicated? There should be things, If there are other sins that we are about to do and decide not to, shouldn't this be a regular pattern in our speech as Christians, that we start to say something and then decide not to say it? I mean, it's like that with everything else in the Christian life. If temptation is real, and if it's possible for rotten, decomposing words to proceed out of our mouth, then sometimes it's best to say nothing. Proverbs 10.19 says this, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. It's also good to remember when you're preaching, and you 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 know you want to preach like thirty-five minutes instead of fifty-five. It's a good verse to remember. Sometimes it's better to say less. And then often in our conversations, it's better to say nothing. Listen, despite what the culture tells you, you don't always have to express yourself right? For, for a follower of Jesus, if you take what Jesus taught seriously, and if the Christian life is a life of learning how to die and taking up your cross, then that should mean that as a follower of Jesus, I regularly get myself into circumstances where I don't end up expressing myself. That should be a normal thing for someone who has a cross metaphorically on his back, Right? That should happen, and it should happen a lot, because a lot of the desires that we want to act on aren't good desires. It's possible that many of our desires, if not most, it would be better if we don't act on them, and that includes what we say. This rule of sometimes saying nothing not only applies to our face to face interactions, right? It applies to our texts. You don't always have to click send. You don't always have to click share. You don't always have to click post. Number two. So number one, sometimes just say nothing at all. Here's number two. If you want to replace gossip with Christian speech, commend the commendable. Commend the commendable. You see, we don't always have to stay silent, right? After all, Ephesians 4.29 doesn't just say, stop talking. We may tell our kids that sometimes. No. He says, stop saying these things and start saying these things, right? So sometimes we, it's okay to speak, but we need to speak in a certain way. We need to look for what's positive in others and point it out. I got a text um, I got a text from our pastor. He just sent me an encouraging note the other day, and he said he has a, a 30 second rule, and that if he thinks of something ni- of nice, thinks of something nice to tell someone, he just tells them that within 30 seconds of thinking of it. I thought that's a pretty good rule and don 't get upset if you didn't get a text from him this this week. Maybe he didn't have anything nice to think i, I don't know um, <laughs> Or maybe he just made it up and it's not a rule. I don't know, but I thought that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. You know, it's, it's so interesting. It is so easy to be negative and to tear people down, right? And there, there are whole platforms. There are whole like, like TV networks where if you tune in, they're going to be complaining about someone. I'm not going to mention any names, but you get the idea. Like it's a billion dollar media enterprise to talk negatively about people. And what's remarkable about that is the the people that you trust, the people that you really look up to, the people that you are are the most attracted to and want to be friends with are the people that always have something nice to say. Isn't that interesting? I wonder if, if part of that is the fact that we just instinctively in the back of our heads know at some point they're going to be talking about me behind my back. And if they're always saying nice things about other people behind their back to me, then I guess they're the kind of person that's going to say nice things about me behind my back. And we just want to be friends with those people, don't we? But even though we respect and are attracted to those kinds of people, it is somehow very easy for us to always be negative in how we're talking about others. Just a few months ago, uh, the, the film and theater critic Terry Teachout died. I believe it was a heart attack. Not, I'm, I actually don't remember, but I think it was a heart attack. Anyway, he died back in January. He wrote a commentary, National Review, the Wall Street Journal. Mainly did movies, and then he did uh, theater as well, opera. And uh, I was just listening to a, a, a podcast the other day where some of his friends were talking about what they all loved the most about him. And, and they all said the same thing. That uh, teach out, no matter how much he hated something, he would always find something nice to write about it. I mean, even if he thought a movie or a play was just terrible, he would find the best things, even if they were very few and far between, he'd find the best things to write about it so he'd be balanced in his criticism. And Tchaikovsky said this to one of his friends, that that was the hardest part of his job. That, that it was difficult for him as a writer as a professional writer, to do that because, number one, it's, it's just easy to tear stuff down. And number two, readers like it when you tear stuff down. He's dead now, but that's what he was remembered for. And so I was just thinking, like, man, if I died tomorrow, I, I don't think I am, but if I did, um, uh, would anybody even think of saying that? That's a good question, isn't it? Will people remember you for being able to say positive things about other people? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to do that. You just have to be nice. Do you commend the commendable? Or do you always look for the negative? Listen, I got a secret, okay? This is really, this will blow your mind. If you look for the negative, you will always find it. Isn't that just like the most profound thing I've ever said? If you look for the negative, you will find it. And some of you can only say negative things because that's all you're looking for. But but God calls us to speech that builds up. That's what edifies means. We're, we're called to, to build things with our speech, not tear it down. And if you're always looking for the negative, and if you're always posting and sharing and commenting and texting people and calling people about the negative, then the only things you'll leave behind will be things that are torn down. Number three. Number three, talk to people, not about them. Talk to people Not about them. How many of you have heard of Amy Carmichael? A few of you? Okay. Some? She was a missionary to India in the, uh, I believe, early 19th century. And and she had this rule for managing conflict at her mission station in India. Never about, always to. Never about, always to. And that's a good rule, isn't it? For managing conflict. What about if some of us would put that on like the refrigerator in our house? Would it change some things? Would it help? Never about, always to. Isn't it amazing when we have a problem with someone else, they're often the last person we will want to have a dialogue with. We'll want to talk to everyone else about this person, but not the person themselves. In the context of coming to the, the temple and bringing an offering, Jesus said this in Matthew five twenty four. First, be reconciled to thy brother. Then, Jesus says, you can bring your gift. But God's not interested in your gift as much as you being reconciled with your brother. God would rather have you speak to the person you're talking about than be generous and give some sort of big offering. I don't know if that really matches our value system, does it? I don't know if we think like that. I mean, honestly, if somebody, if somebody in our, in our community said, "Hey, I'm going to give like eighty thousand dollars to the church," and you found out about it, you thought really highly of that person. Would you really think that that another person in the church just telling a friend about his or her offense and confronting them about it? Would you really think that that second thing is better or more honorable than the person who gives eighty grand? D- Jesus said, "It's better." to talk out your offense with someone, that it is to give a gift. I don't know if we believe that. I'm convinced many times we don't believe that. Talk to, not about. Talk to, not about. Number four. Number four. Here's another practical step. Talk to and about the Lord. Talk to and about the Lord. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking to a person saying, hey, talk to yourself. No, it's speaking plurally, corporally to yourselves. In other words, speak to each other, speak to one another, sing to one another. Do it in your heart to the Lord, but do it to one another too. We can use our words to glorify the Lord. To talk about the Lord in front of other people. To talk about God with each other. Instead of gossiping, we can talk to each other about what God is doing in our lives. We can pray with each other. Man, wouldn't that be cool if that was, if that was normalized? If, if you meet with someone, it doesn't have to be like, Uh, some sort of counseling session, if you just meet with another Christian and you say, hey, before we go, can I just pray with you? And you you pray 10 or 15 seconds. I mean, wouldn't that be great if that was just a normal part of our church culture, if that just happened all the time? There's so many things we can do in our conversations, friends, with one another besides gossip. Talk, talk to other people, to other Christians about what God is doing in your life. And that, you know, that, that may mean that you initiate some spiritual conversations, that you don't just talk about uh, college basketball. But you can ask somebody, hey, what's the Holy Spirit been doing in your life? And that, that doesn't mean people always have to have some great story about themselves. Sometimes it's good to ask, hey, what, what, what's going badly that you want to go better? It may mean that we start asking each other, How has the Spirit helped to change you and transform you in this season of your life? And other times we may need to ask, hey, what stayed the same that you'd like to grow in? Let me pray for you about that. What would you like to see progress in in your spiritual journey as you follow Jesus? Hey, there's nothing wrong with talking about those things. It's okay to talk about God. God. And I don't mean like being fake. Sometimes, I'm, like if I'm on an airplane and I talk to somebody else and I tell them I'm a minister, they'll be like, oh, they'll, they'll try to think of something to say. Like, oh, my cousin was baptized once, you know? Or they'll say, yeah, God is really cool. As if I need to hear that for some sort of validation or something. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about seriously telling a brother or sister what God's doing in your life. You say, well,. What about if the person that I'm talking to isn't even a Christian? Even better! Look for ways to talk about the gospel. Look for ways to talk about not the bad news, but the good news. Look for for ways to connect Jesus' message to ordinary conversations. By the way, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. The gospel is not a gospel presentation. Well, let me start with John 3.16. Now You can say that if you want, but the gospel is not a gospel presentation. The gospel is this story that encompasses literally everything. Our fallenness, our brokenness, why we experience things like hope, why we're attracted to stories. Hey, if somebody's talking to you about a movie, there's a way to connect that to the gospel. Why, why people feel like their life is all screwed up and the world is broken. That connects to the gospel. Talk to people about the Lord. Talk to the Lord as well. Jesus said to pray for your enemies. If you pray for your enemies, it's harder to gossip about them. Number five. This is the last one. Install the 19 by 14 filter. You have no idea what that is, do you? That's okay. I planned on that. Install the 19 by 14 filter. Uh, Filters are really important, especially around here. I've discovered, I change out my air filter in our house all the time. It's like the wind blows and I have to go change out the air filter. Or the or Everything just shuts down. Um, now, just imagine for a moment, if you, if you can, uh, I'm, I'm at home and I, I tell Hannah, you know, I'm tired of buying these like $3 filters. It's just such a, a drag on the budget. We're just gonna uh, go natural and... Uh, And stop buying air filters. In fact, I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to rip the furnace filter we have. I'm going to rip it out. I'm going to throw it away. And we're not going to do filters anymore. Our children just need natural, real air, like the outside air that that just hit us in the face like sand five minutes ago. That's what we're going to do. Now, how many of you think that'd be a good decision? I mean, have you been outside here? I feel I've been a little misled because... I thought I would know what it was like to live in Kansas because I grew up watching Little House on the Prairie. And it's, it's not like every episode, they just blow away. I, I realized that was probably filmed in Southern California, not in Seward County. But, I mean, you can't live without these things, right? What happens? Well, your furnace would probably shut down. The dust sensor would probably kick it off. But if that didn't work, you just get a lot of buildup and a lot of pollution in your house you'd be breathing dirt. It would be gross, right? None of you are going to go home tonight and throw away your air filter. But listen, listen. We go out into the world every day and we have absolutely no filter on our speech. We just say whatever in the world we feel like saying. Don't we? What what comes out? Oh, rotten words. Decomposing words? Corrupt communication? What's the 19 by 14 filter? Well, I had a professor in seminary a couple of years ago who, who uh, talked to me about this. He got it from Psalm 1914. And he would pray this any time he got in a serious conversation with someone. If it was a student, if it was his wife, one of his kids his employer, before he got into that serious conversation, he would pray this out loud to God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I, I'm not going to say this thing is foolproof, But there are days when I've used this regularly. And there are days when I have not used this regularly. Those closest to me could tell you which days were which. My wife knows which days are which. And as a filter, it catches a lot of stuff. You know why? Because there are a lot of things that David Harris would like to say that are not acceptable to God. So they don't make it through the filter. When I have the filter on. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever thought about praying this as a prayer, but I'm going to encourage you to start doing this. You say, well, I haven't memorized it. Well, uh, You have the Bible on your phone, and if you don't, you could write it on a note card. It'll take you five seconds to write out this verse. Say it to yourself. Maybe not but just before big conversations, Why don't you just pray to God in the morning and mean it? God, I want what I say to be acceptable to you. And God, not just that. It's not just my words that I want to be acceptable, Lord, because I realize that my words come out of my meditations. I speak out of what I think long and hard about. So God, I don't just want my words to be acceptable to you, but God, today, just for the next 12 hours or so, God, would you help my meditations to be acceptable to you too? Because if my meditations are acceptable to you, God, then my words will be. Why should we pray this? Because he's our strength and our redeemer. He saved us. He helps us live. Why wouldn't we pray it? Why would we go around unfiltered, spewing out rotten, decomposing words, Polluting the air around us. Ruining our relationships. Messing up our friendships. Hurting the church. Why would we do that and just have no filter? Here's how I want you to respond to the message tonight. We're going to pray in just a moment. I want, to ask you, I want you to ask yourself these questions that are in your handout. Number one. When was the last time I responded by saying nothing? Do you even remember when that was? You say, well, I'm opinionated. I I just like to express myself. Welcome to the human race. This is what bearing our cross means. Sometimes you don't get to do things you want to do. Number two, am I quick to point out the negative in others? You say, well, that's my personality. I'm just a pessimistic type of person. Hey, sinfulness is our personality. Jesus came to change our personality. I'm not saying it's immediate. I'm not saying it's a one-time thing. Again, this is a process but he wants to change it. Number three, do I confront someone before telling others about them? Four, do I talk to others about the Lord? I mean, do I really talk to other people about the Lord and not just something, uh, not like you know a 25-minute conversation about your new car or your football team winning or whatever and you end it with, well, thank the Lord or something like that. I'm not talking about that. Do you actually talk to people about who God is and what he's done for you? And lastly, what would it look like for me to install the 1914 filter? Hey, I I, I guarantee you this, it will not hurt you, okay? It will only help you. (laughs) If you install that filter, if you start praying Psalm 1914 maybe to start your day, it's not going to take up a lot of time. It's not going to hurt your marriage. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you. It's not going to hurt your close friendships, it's not going to hurt how your kids look up to you. Not at all. Maybe you should install that. And start praying that to the Lord. So don't want, that's really what I want you to do tonight is think about those questions. And I want you to ask God this. Lord, help me to live this out. Help me to get rid of that corrupt speech. And to put on the speech that's fitting for a follower of Jesus. Let's all stand.